Well, thank you, worship team, for leading us in that way. I appreciate it. I haven't sang the heart of worship for a long time, and I was blessed as you opened with that song today. Thank you so much. Now, I have a question for everyone here today. I have a question. You ready? How many of you, how many of you are leaders? Wow, there's like three. There's three leaders at James North Church, Pastor Paul. That's, that's great news, I think. Uh, <laughs> But that was interesting, wasn't it? Do we, let me ask you another question. Do we need more and better leaders in our society today? Yes, and there's three of you, so we, we have a start. We have a start. Uh, we need more and better leaders in every area of life, whether it's government, whether it's business, whether it's healthcare, whether it's education, whether it's, it's the church, whether it's our own, our own families and communities. We have leaders, and we're thankful for every leader we have, but we definitely need more, and we often see challenges in leadership and the need for more leadership and stronger leadership. Uh, If you look in the Bible, what you find is that the Bible is filled with stories of leaders. Have you noticed that? From beginning to end, you find that God is raising up leaders, and then God's people rise and fall on whether or not those leaders lead properly and whether or not the people follow after God's leader who's leading according to God's will. It's fair to say that's the story of the Bible that gets repeated over and over and over again. God calls a leader. The leader often says, I'm not ready. God says, I'm going to work through you anyway. And off the leader goes and God works through them and amazing things happen again and again and again. Leadership is essential because God, in his infinite wisdom, has decided that that's the way he's going to work uh, in history. And I I often wish, I don't know about you, but I often wish he would use the snap-his-fingers approach to getting things done because he's all-powerful and could do that. It would be much easier than working through people like me and you, you know what I mean? But God, in his wisdom, doesn't do it that way. He occasionally does those amazing miracles. But his typical way is to call a leader to lead God's people on God's path. And today I want to preach a message called Called to Lead. I don't know how many sermons you've heard about leadership, but I hope this will be an encouragement, a fun sermon, and hopefully a challenge to us as well as we look at leadership, the importance of leadership, and, uh, and how we're to be involved in leadership ourselves. Um, can I just pray for you all as we get going into the message? Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for James North. I thank you for this church that has had many good leaders and has good leaders even right now. And for the work you've done here, the work you're going to keep doing, the greater things we trust you for. I pray for a good morning together as we look at your word and look at the subject of leadership. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the fellowship, uh, as I mentioned, we have about 292 or three churches. And right at this moment, there are actually 38 churches who are looking for a pastor, give or take. Because uh, the number's a moving target. And that's about 13, 14% of our churches. It means that maybe about every eight years or so, uh, a pastor is staying on average eight years. Now, you have been blessed to have a pastor who stayed a little longer than that. I believe close to 30, if not 30 years. And you are blessed also that when your pastor has moved on, you have a bunch of good leaders here, Pastor Paul and the team, who are able to just keep moving and keep things going, and a whole bunch of other leaders who are amongst you in the room today. Not every church has that depth of leadership, but it's a blessing. But I want us to take a look in the Bible in the book of Judges. We're going to look at Judges chapter 4 at the story of Deborah and Barak. Now, who's heard of Deborah and Barak? 
That's like 10 times as many as you have leaders in the church. That's great. That's great. We're, we're moving up. We're moving up. Uh, in the story of Deborah and Barak, it's an interesting time in the history of Israel. <clears throat> it's over a thousand years before the time of Christ, before the time of David. And Israel is in this interesting time where these people called judges are leading the nation. Now, they're not judges the way we think of a judge who's in a courtroom and you get your case settled. Judges are some combination of political, military, spiritual leader all wrapped up in one, and they actually did do some actual judging of cases as well. So it's this whole mix of leadership that they called a judge. And when we come to Judges 4, we find that there's a woman named Deborah, a prophetess, who is the key judge in Israel. Now, if you've read the Bible at all and you know anything about the history of that time, this is a unique thing to have a woman in a very patriarchal, male-dominated culture being the key leader in Israel at this time. And it says in Judges chapter 4, verse 4, it tells the story like this. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah. I'll just pause. I like that she had a tree named after her. That's nice. Uh, the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali. And we'll just, we'll just pause there. We got Deborah, and she summons the general. His name is Barak. Now, I like knowing what their names mean. In the Bible, people's names often have cool meanings, and this is one of those cases. The name Deborah means honeybee. Honeybee, isn't that nice? Just, hmm, nice, yeah. Give me some buzzes. Yeah, all right. She dances like, yeah, she dances like a butterfly. She stings like a, yeah, you got it, honeybee. And we've got Barak. His name, ready, ready, everyone? It means lightning. Usually people go, ooh, Lightning. So th this is impressive. We got the honeybee and we got lightning ready for action in this story. So she summons Barak and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go and gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. So here's the scenario at this time. Israel is under oppression by a foreign power. They have all these chariots, hundreds of chariots, which were the equivalent of having an M1 main battle tank in the culture of the day. And Israel was very under-equipped, under-prepared. They, they, they were way outgunned, if you will, in this, this type of fight. And Deborah says to Barak, hasn't God told you? Isn't there? She's giving a prophetic word to him saying, your job is to go Lead the army and go and attack him. Get 10,000 men and attack him. Now, what, is, what does Barak say in response to this call of God through the prophet Deborah? What does he say? Barak, what does the name mean? Lightning. Yeah, I didn't hear any woos. Ooh. Lightning. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Now, I, wa I want to just look at all God's ladies um, for a moment. Uh, does, this, does this man, this lightning man, is he inspiring courage and confidence in you at this moment? 
Just give me, what, 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 do you, what do you think? I'm not sure about this guy. This is the commander of the army. His name means lightning. And when Deborah, who's a woman in a very unusual time for a woman to be leading the nation, calls him to go rise up in the name of the Lord, he says, I'll go if you go. <laughs> That's his answer. I'll go if you go. What is this? She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And all the women said, yeah, <laughs> take that, Sisera. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And the story goes on. Now, I'm not going to tell the whole story. I will, spoiler alert, Israel wins, uh, as often happens in these stories. But what I want to highlight at this point in the story is that it feels like there's a leadership problem in Israel. You know what I mean? It feels like there's a leadership. These two key leaders, Deborah and Barak, and Barak, he's obviously a capable general. He's able to summon 10,000 people to fight with him. That's pretty good. That's impressive. And yet at the key moment when he hears the call of God to stand forth, lead, go forward, he actually, he, he kind of almost is backing out. He's like, I'll only go if you go. It's, it's not a picture of courage and strength in leadership. Now, Deborah does go with him. They do go to the battle. They win the battle that day, and Sisera is defeated, and there's a story involving a tent peg in a temple, and I'll let you look up what happens with uh, Sisera, the, the uh, opposing general. But I look at Barak and I say, why wasn't this guy leading? Why didn't he stand up at that moment? Why did he have this weak answer instead of being bold? But an interesting thing is, isn't that what happens to us today? How many of us are leaders? Well, three of us. <laughs> we're, we're, we're nervous to actually kind of admit and stand up and say we're leaders. Maybe we're afraid I was going to ask you to do something next or something. So, you, you know... I saw, I, saw, I saw Pastor Marcio put his hand up. That was, I appreciated that. As one of the pastors said, I'm a leader. That was, that was good. But as we look in this story, we see that not only do they have this story, they actually sing a song about it at the end in chapter 5. In chapter 4, they tell the story of what happens. But in chapter 4, guess what they sing about? Can you guess what they sing about? Do they sing the heart of worship? Do they sing more love, more Jesus in my... Well, they didn't know about Jesus yet. It was before him. Well, what do they sing? They sing about leadership. I kid you not. In, De in 5 verse 2, it says that the leaders took the lead in Israel. That's their song. And so I find it a bit ironic that Barak helped write this song. After not being wanting to lead, he decides we'll write a song about our leadership. And they say that the leaders took the lead in Israel that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Down in verse 9, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people, bless the Lord. This passage in this verse to me is significant because it's God celebrating the importance of leadership through Deborah and Barak. And despite Barak having a tough start, he actually does pretty well in the end. And they celebrate that the leaders were leading and that the people were following willingly. Now, the first point of my message, this is an amazing point. I've been to seminary. I went twice, actually. I went twice. It was helpful to go the second time. Uh, and and I, I'm going to share a point that this could be amazing. So I'm just warning you in advance that this could be an amazing point. It's about leaders. 
The point is this. God calls leaders to... Oh, it's on the screen. There's really not much tension, is there? Um, God calls leaders to... You can say it. Lead. Wow, wow. wow. You went to seminary for that. That's amazing. Uh, This seems really obvious, but it's actually a huge point. Not because we don't understand it, but because we don't always do it. If leaders were leading in society, we wouldn't all agree that we need more leaders. If leaders were leading in the different parts of our lives, we wouldn't all agree that we need more and better leaders. Because we have all kinds of leaders, in the, and sometimes think, well, what's wrong with that leader? And the basic problem is they're not leading. They're in a leadership role, they have a calling, they have resources to use in leadership, and they're not leading. And I want you to think about that. What, what are the leadership areas in your life? Now, I realize not all of us have leadership jobs or leadership positions, but if you actually think about it, at some point in our lives, all of us have to lead in some way. Leadership, of course, starts in the family. And if you're in a family, probably sooner or later, you're going to have to help and provide some leadership in your family. Maybe you're on a team in the workplace and nobody seems to be leading. You realize somebody's got to step up and give this team some some guidance and you need to step up and lead. Maybe you're in school and you're studying and you're, you're... And in school, they put you in these uh, groups where you have to do group projects. You know what I'm talking about? And you look around and say, is anybody going to do this project but me? And you realize you have to step up and lead. Maybe you've experienced that. Wherever it is, there's opportunities in our lives for leadership. And the question you want to ask yourself, are are the leaders taking the lead? And is, is maybe God wanting me to take a leadership in something? And I need to take the lead. Well, let's take a look at what leadership is and what it means. Uh, My favorite uh, definition of leadership comes from Henry and Richard Blackaby. And here's what they say. Excuse me. They say, spiritual leadership is moving people onto God's agenda. And I like that definition because it describes that leadership is not simply a secular activity. It's a spiritual activity. And the goal is not simply to have a dream and, uh, and take everybody there. But it's to see what is God doing? What is God's vision for this group of people? Whether it's a grand vision for the city or whether it's a vision for just me and my three friends for us to do something in the name of the Lord. What is God doing and how can I lead people to move on their agenda? On God's agenda. Now, there are, spiritual leadership can be defined as both a Christian role and as a spiritual gift. And I want us to take a look at that now. Now, did did you get notes when you came in? Did you get notes or were they, and I'm, I'm tracking along with these. It says in Romans 12, verses 6 to 8, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I'm thankful that God has given every believer a spiritual gift. Um, Have you ever looked at your spiritual gifts? I suspect in your church it's something that the leadership encourages you to investigate and discover together. But there's gifts here that are mentioned in the passages, gifts of exhortation, of teaching, of mercy, of generosity, and leadership is one of the spiritual gifts that God gives. But leadership is also a Christian role. And here's what I mean by that. Um, 
If we look at the gift of service, there's a gift of serving, and people who are gifted in serving are just really good at helping and getting things done around the church. Um, it's amazing how much they can get done and how well they do it and how much they enjoy just serving quietly, often behind the scenes, helping others. But all Christians are called to serve. W- would you agree? Just give me a nod. Yes, all Christians are called to serve. Now, I want, I'm looking here. You have all these lovely chairs here in the church. I imagine sometimes you rearrange these chairs. Is that true? Sometimes you rearrange the gym or make it, you know, multi-purpose room. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that... They don't get up at the front and say, no, is there anybody with the gift of service who could stay after church and uh, rearrange the chairs while the rest of us get cake and coffee in the back? (laughs) No, I'm sure that's not how it's done. It said, we need some help rearranging. No, what you'll notice is the people with the gift of service are the first ones to jump in, and they get everything done, and the rest of us will move a couple chairs and try and look busy, you know, and and go get the cake and coffee. (laughs) But the point is that We're all called to serve, but the people with the gift of service just do it at a different level. Um, The same is true of generosity. I saw before the service you had the the screen cycling showing ways to give to support the work here at James North, and I hope you all do that. But there's people with a gift of generosity who can just give above and beyond. They're just looking for new ways to give. And, And God, not always, but often will bless those people financially because they just can't get rid of it quick enough. Because that's their gift. But we don't just rely on those people to give. All of us have a Christian duty, a Christian role to give. And leadership is the same. Now, I want to illustrate this just a little further. Um, I, I, growing up, I wasn't the greatest athlete. I know you look at me and you probably are surprised. You think I, I was probably, but, uh, but no, no, I, <laughs> I wasn't. Uh, I, was, I was average, and if I worked at something, I could get kind of okay at it. You know what I mean? And so I liked volleyball, and I decided to play volleyball. I, I went to a Christian school in Toronto, and I decided to play volleyball. And I became, by the, my final year of high school, the starting setter on my school volleyball team, which took a lot of work and effort, and I was you know, somewhere between mediocre and above average in terms of my ability at this point. It, was, it, was, it took a lot of work, but I got there. And so we did that, and the scholarships never came. I did not have a a career in volleyball, but I did have a fun time. But I went to camp, where I went to camp, and I had a friend named James Lackey. I don't know if any of you know James Lackey. James Lackey was an athlete. This guy was good. He was a great basketball player. He could shoot three throws, you know, three-point throws like nobody's business. He, He actually, believe it or not, he coached Steph Curry when Steph Curry was at the Christian school in Toronto. James Lackey was his coach. He may have, I'd have to check with him, actually helped Steph Curry with his shot. Can you imagine that? His plan, by the way, with Steph Curry was he'd get the boys in a huddle and say, okay, boys, here's the plan. Pass the ball to Steph. (laughs) Steph, if you don't know, is one of the great NBA players, one of the greatest three-point shooters maybe ever. But James Lackey was up at camp, and we were playing beach volleyball. Beach volleyball. Oh, yes. And, uh, and I had practiced. I had got good at volleyball. I'd spent all this time. James Lackey didn't play volleyball but he was playing beach volleyball with me. And he was keeping up with me probably better after I had spent all this time practicing. You follow me? Have you ever had that happen, something like that? Isn't that annoying, that guy James, you know? James Lackey, yeah. This is what it's like when someone has a gift of something compared to somebody who's doing a Christian role. You follow me? You can work at it, you can get better at it. And I actually was good enough, they let me be the setter on my team, so I wasn't completely incompetent. But 
if James had ever bothered to try playing volleyball, he would have been spiking it and killing it. And he was doing that anyways, basically, even though he didn't try. Because he was gifted. God gave him gifts in that way. Some of you today have the gift of leadership. And you need to hear Deborah's call to Barak, rise up and lead. You're using that gift in the workplace, you're using it in other parts of your life, but you're not using it here in the church of Jesus Christ. And the church always needs more leaders, whether it's organizing greeting teams, children's work, youth ministry, um, outreach in the community. It it doesn't end. There's always more that we can do, and we only are able to do as much as we can do through leaders. Because remember, God's plan in human history is to work through leaders. And that's not just the famous leaders of histories. That's how it happens in the local church as well. But there's others of you who are saying, well, I'm not sure how much of a gift of leadership I have, but there are some things that need leading, and maybe I could learn at least to do it a little better. And your job is to learn some basic principles of leadership and serve while you can until God raises up someone with the gift to take it maybe to the next level. But we still need you. And you're needed in your home, in your workplace, all these different areas to provide leadership as God would allow you. Now, what are the obstacles? This, this seems easy. Why, why, don't we, uh, why don't we lead then? Why is this so hard? Why do only three people raise their hands? And I'm, I'm razzing you a bit about that, but I understand. I've preached on this before, and it's common when I go to a church that almost nobody raises their hand, or only a few people raise their hand. And I think there's a few things going on here. I think one of them is that we're, we're living in a Canadian culture. You know, many of you grew up in Canadian culture. Some of you came from other cultures, and you've seen what Canadian culture can be like, and you're part of it now. And uh, we, we, te- we like to think that we're polite, first of all, as Canadians, don't we? Oh, we like to think that we're polite. And, and we are often, often. Also, we, we don't want to be seen as, in, in church, we're Christians too. We're Christian Canadians. This is another layer now. And... And we're taught, I hope you've been taught, and I'm sure you have, that we're supposed to be humble before the Lord. Have you heard that? We're supposed to be humble. In fact, Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a servant. And so when someone says, are you a leader? The idea of saying, yeah, I'm a leader, look at me, uh, is, it, goes, it, it just scratches against us. It's like, it's like your nails on the chalkboard, you know what I mean? And I think that's why we're hesitant to put up our hands and say, I'm a leader. What the Apostle Paul wrote in uh, Romans 12 that I read earlier is when talking about our spiritual gifts, he said, we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think of ourselves with sober judgment. In the underlying Greek, four times the word think, which is is used, a phreneo or sophreneo, it's a Greek word talking about thinking, and it means having an accurate assessment of yourself and your gifts. If God has made you a leader and God has gifted you to lead, don't be afraid to admit it. Don't be afraid to offer to lead. Years ago, I was in a a mentoring program. I was in a Christian business organization, and there was a man named Paul Ronco. He was a Catholic businessman. He was a VP at Black and McDonald, and he was my mentor. And uh, we we would go out, and he would teach me things and help me learn just how to be a better leader, and I really appreciated him. And we had this mentoring program with other mentors who were going to mentor young Christian business people. And we asked the leaders, why do you want to be a mentor? And Paul said, because I'm good at it. And we looked, I thought, that's not a good answer. You know, he's, maybe, maybe in the Catholic Church you're allowed to answer that, but in evangelical, 
nothing against Catholics. I'm not being hard on Catholics. But he, he ran Alpha in the Catholic Church, Paul. It was amazing what, what this guy was doing. And he's with the Lord now. He, he went to be with the Lord. But, uh, but he said, because I'm good at it. And it was jarring to me at the time, because like you're not allowed to answer that way. But actually, Paul wasn't being proud. He was actually just saying, this is what God has gifted me to do, and the reason I want to do it is I want to use my gift. Uh, in fact, if you're ever wondering what God's will for your life is, do you ever ask that question, what does God want me to do? I can't tell you all the specifics, but I guarantee you he wants you to use your gift. Because that's what it says in Romans 12, at the pivotal point in the book of Romans, that we're to have an accurate assessment of ourselves, and then having gifts, let us use them. You'll be amazed how much of the specifics come into order when you follow after God and what he's already commanded in Scripture. You start using your gift to serve here in the church and your family and so on, you'll be amazed how the details of your life come together when you obey that. So why don't we lead? Well, we're, we're Canadians, and we have this culture where we're, we're afraid to put ourselves before others, and then we're Christians, and we don't want to sound like our prou- we're proud. But remember, being a leader doesn't mean being proud. Actually, in God's economy, being a leader means being humble. The greatest leaders of all time are the most humble leaders of all time, whether that's Moses, who the Bible describes as the meekest man on earth, or uh, who lived, or, or as Jesus himself was the perfect example of humility, making himself nothing, the Bible says, taking the form of a servant, and that is the Lord we worship. This sermon this morning isn't primarily a message about our Lord Jesus and the salvation he offers, but I do want to pause at this moment and say If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, the one we worship here, I invite you to trust in him. He is the greatest leader of all time, and he's the most humble leader of all time. Constantly in our world, we see people looking for good leaders and not finding them, being disappointed over time. And yet the Lord Jesus, the promise of Jesus is that he saves us from sin and he will return one day as leader over this whole world and universe. And it will be the best time ever because we will have a leader who can truly lead. But our Lord Jesus was that humble leader. So why do we not lead? We fear criticism. Do you know when you lead what people do? You know what people do? They criticize you. In fact, if you're a leader and nobody's criticizing you, you're probably a leader who isn't leading. Because as soon as you start to lead, somebody's going to say, well, you should do it this way. I don't like that way. How come we can't do it the old way? Or I'm staying home. (laughs) And And that's just what leadership is about. Don't be afraid of leading because people will criticize. They will, and sometimes, even worse, they'll be right. And you'll need to make adjustments. But if you're a humble leader and you take criticism, even if it's not always given in the kindest way, you can grow as a leader and you can can do well despite that. Take courage, be bold. Uh, Sometimes we just view leadership negatively. Sometimes we think that, you know, we see bad examples of leadership. We've had bad leaders, and we say, well, I know I don't want to be that. I don't want to be like that. Well, remember, the Bible teaches that leadership, it talks about eldership in the Bible, leadership in the church, as a noble task. Leadership doesn't have to be negative. It should be positive. And the humble servant leadership that we teach in the Bible is, uh, is a good leadership that is honorable to do. We sometimes feel inadequate well, I could never do that. And again, join the club. Everybody in the Bible said the same thing when God called them to lead. I can't do that, Moses. I can't speak. I, you know, I'm not the right guy, all that. And yet God worked mightily through these people. God can work mightily through you and you and you and every other you here. Don't let feeling inadequate keep you. 
trust the Lord and learn how to lead. Well, you might say, I have a busy life. Uh, I'm too busy. Uh, well, aren't we all? Uh, and I actually think that's part of the problem in leadership today. No one wants to lead because it's, it's a lot of work at times. But don't let being busy keep you from a priority that God would want you to do. Examine your priorities. Say, God, do you want me to be stepping up and leading? Uh, sometimes we just plain want to avoid the weight of leadership. Leadership can be so much fun, but it can be so challenging too. Uh, one of the, the challenges we see in leadership, of course, and here's a simple one, is you actually have to show up when you're the leader. Have you noticed that? You can't go to Bedside Baptist on Sunday if you're a leader in the church. Do you know Bedside Baptist? You've been to Bedside? Someone at the back has been there. Uh, they've been there recently, but, but they were awake today. They heard that joke. They were awake today. Uh, you can't go. You, you got to show up when you're a leader. You have to take responsibility, and sometimes nobody else shows up when you're a leader, and you end up being the leader of yourself and doing it all, too. It's challenging to be a leader, but like the Lord said through Deborah to Barak, arise, lead, arise and go forth. Well, what are the practices of leaders? There's a favorite verse of mine, and here it is on the screen, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. It describes four key things about leaders. It describes that leaders are meant to be shepherds. A shepherd leader is someone who nurtures and cares for and builds up the people that they're leading. It's not a taskmaster with a whip trying to get everybody to run ahead of them. It's somebody who's leading from the front and caring for the people under their leadership. It talks about shepherding them with integrity of heart. Christian leaders must have character. If you don't have character in your leadership, you don't have anything. Uh, the rest doesn't matter. We need to be people who are humble before God and constantly seeking and asking him to grow us into the people he wants us to be. It says, with skillful hands, he led them. Leaders actually have to know what they're doing in something. And so if you're going to lead, you don't have to know everything, but you need to know something. We want leaders to actually not just be nice people, but competent people. And that's why you have to study and learn and work at being a good leader. And then it says he led them. As the point at the beginning of the message said, God calls leaders to, to lead. I've got a few biblical descriptions of leaders I want to share. First of all, leaders are servants. We've talked about this already in the message. Jesus saying, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be a servant. Jesus' way of leadership is not the person who's the big shot, who's showing off, look at me, I'm in charge. No, it's the person who is humbly serving others. And they see leadership as a way they serve God and serve others to help accomplish God's agenda. Leaders are stewards. Do you, do you know what a steward is? A steward is somebody who is entrusted with resources that they're to use on behalf of the person who owns the resource. So in our case as leaders, God is the one who owns everything. He provides our, whether it's finance, whether it's property, whether it's uh, our own gifts and skills, the people on our team, the time we have, all those are resources leaders have. Leaders are intended to be stewards, wisely using all those resources that God has given. And then leaders are skilled. We actually need to work at being good at whatever it is God has called us to. If that's children's ministry, be the best children's leader you can be. If you're leading the greeting team, make sure you organize that team and have people feel so welcome here that they can't believe how nice everybody is. 
If, if you're leading in the youth ministry, make sure you know how to lead and help youth today, which is a constant learning curve to understand how we can best serve them. Whatever it is, make sure you're skilled. Now, there was a business book by Kuzas and Posner that was, uh, talks about five practices of exemplary leadership. And this also ties into the key practices of leaders. Now, this is a secular book. They're from, I believe, it's Santa Clara University. And they spent, you know, years and years and thousands and thousands of people researched and data that they gathered to figure out what are the exemplary qualities of leaders today. So not a Christian study. Uh, I added the Bible verses, though, because what they found <laughs> is that all the stuff that made for good leadership actually happened to be biblical principles. And sometimes we say things like we don't want to bring business leadership in the church. Have you ever heard that? And, and there's, there's something to be said there. We have to be careful. But I'm always careful when I say that because, first of all, I like the business people in our church. And I don't want them to feel bad because I like that they're out there serving the Lord in the marketplace. And they do a ton of good things out there that I'm thankful for. Uh, but as well, good leadership principles are good leadership principles. And the best business principles are biblical principles. And the best Christian business leaders are following these kind of principles. Exemplary leaders model the way. They don't ask people to do things that they're not willing to do themselves. They make sure they're modeling what they're asking their team to do. They inspire a shared vision. They say, and, and the way you inspire a vision, you don't have to be fancy with this and have PowerPoints and everything. You just need to say, wouldn't it be amazing if? And then describe a picture of what you hope for as a leader. Maybe your vision is not to save the world, but your vision is to have people studying the Bible together, and that's your vision. You say, wouldn't it be amazing if everybody in my school was actually looking and studying the Bible? Wouldn't it be amazing if there were five people in my school who we would study the Bible together? That can be a vision. As a leader, you inspire people to work towards something that would be beautiful to accomplish together. Leaders also challenge the process. What this means is that they look at the way things are being done and say, we can't keep doing it that way. Uh, you've heard the definition of insanity. You've heard that? To keep doing the same thing the same way and expect different results. Leaders don't do that. They challenge the process. They say the way, the process by which we're doing things needs to be changed. And that's why leaders get criticized, by the way, too. Because it's amazing how much, even though when we know things need to change, we feel comfortable where we are. You know what I'm talking about? And somebody messes it up and changes it. Some leader gets some grand vision. You know, you've ever seen this? And, and we get frustrated even when we know that it needs to happen. And one of the ways we can help leaders when they're trying to change things is say, you know what, this might not be what I want to change, but let's just try it anyways, and I'm going to gulp and do it and help the team. Because that's what leaders do. They challenge the process. They enable others to act. Leaders aren't supposed to try and do it all themselves. Sometimes you get stuck when nobody shows up and you do it yourself. But that's not meant to be the norm. As a leader, you're always saying, how can I find other people who would be gifted and able to do this so that we, leadership is about we, it's not about me, it's about we. How can I support them, nurture them, serve them so they can help do this and we can all accomplish it together? And then leaders encourage the heart. Um, we're not gears or cogs in a machine or something like that as people. Leaders realize we're working with people and they're always trying to encourage their teammates to move forward. And sometimes not to move forward at all, but just to stop and deal with whatever crisis or situation happens that messes up our big leadership plan. 
We don't bowl over people. No, we encourage them and stop and help them along the way. Well, how can I start leading? That's the <coughs> final point in the message. If you're not sure about leadership, maybe you've thought, well, I've <coughs> excuse me, never thought of myself as a leader. I'm going to need that water. Thanks, Carol. <clears throat> Maybe you've never thought of yourself as a leader. Well, the way you start leading is you start serving. Service is the gateway and the heartbeat of leadership. You don't walk in and say, I'm here to lead, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Let's... You show up and say, where can I serve? Where can I help? Uh, I remember when I was pastoring at Waverly Road Baptist Church in Toronto. I pastored there for some years before I was in this role at Feb. And there was a gal who came in named Nikki who got involved in our church. She came from a brethren church background, and she had come to our church. And she got involved serving, helping in the kitchen, and just being involved. And, and people started to notice, who is this gal? You know, she's, she's, and they were so appreciative of her service. And what we saw is that this gal had leadership gifts. Not only was she a servant, but she had leadership gifts. And we ended up inviting Nikki to become our children's director as time went on at the church. And she was able to lead these significant children's camps with you know, dozens and dozens of kids, um, a significant percentage unchurched from our community coming. And all that started because Nikki showed up, and, and I don't know if anybody asked her to, le to lead or do anything. She just jumped in and served. And some of you today, the challenge for you is, yeah, may God may have leadership for you, but jump in and serve. And if you serve faithfully in something, people notice that. And someone will invite you, perhaps, to take responsibility in leadership. The second principle is this. If you're faithful with little, God will entrust you with more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Again, you might be saying, well, I, I don't have big resources and big responsibility. I just have a little thing that I'm doing, and I, I've got a budget of $20 and three pencils for my ministry, and, and I, I, that's not much. Be faithful with whatever God has given you. You might say, I've got a leadership gift, and it's about this big. I'm not a big leader. I've got a little leadership gift. Use what little he has given you. God watches for people who are faithful with what he gives them, and that's the ones he entrusts with more. You ask any leader who's doing something significant, they'll tell you they started doing something very insignificant and that God just moved them along as they were faithful. So here's some steps you can take. First of all, pray and ask God to use you as a leader. Now, just a warning, prayers like this are dangerous because God likes answering them, you know? So don't pray this unless you mean it. Because God might answer this prayer. <laughs> he always answers prayer, but he might answer this one quicker than you imagine. Ask the Lord to use you as a leader. Secondly, practice leadership in your home. The place to start leading and learning about leadership is in the home. There's a reason why in the biblical description of elders, it says that an elder needs to manage their home well. Practice leading in the home. Humbly, carefully, but practice there. Develop your leadership ability. Leaders are learners. On the back of your notes, I've got a bunch of uh, books and stuff that you can look up and read that talk all about leadership. I encourage you, listen to podcasts. Look up good leadership speakers. Learn about leadership. Offer to serve where there's a need in your church. 
Again, there's never a shortage of needs in the church. If you're not sure where it is, go to Pastor Paul or one of your other pastors and say, hey, is there a need that I could help with? Because again, service is the gateway to leadership. Start serving and you might find yourself leading soon. And then finally, if you're already leading, some of you are leading. Um, I'm going to try something. I don't normally do this in the sermon, but I'm going to ask a question that I asked at the beginning. I'm warning you now. How many of you are leaders in this church. That's better. That's better. I can't count them all. There's about 15, 20, 30 people put up their hands. I'm looking at all you right now. One of the key things you need to do if you're a leader in this church is find somebody else to lead with you. Look for people in your ministry who are servants, the ones I've been talking about, and ask some of them to step up and lead. Then you'll have 60 leaders in the church if each one of you does that. Dear brothers and sisters, leadership is a high calling of God, but it's a humble calling of God. Some of us have leadership gifts. Others of us have a role of leadership that we need to fill wherever that is. God calls leaders to lead, and he calls his leaders to be servants who move people onto his agenda. This is a high and holy calling, and I invite you to join in it today. Let me just pray for you as I believe the worship team comes up. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the gift of leadership. I thank you for the role of leadership. And I thank you for people here across this room who are leading in this church and beyond, in their community, in their family, and other places. And I pray that you would help us, O Lord, to follow your call in our lives, whatever that would be, to use our gifts, whether it's leadership, whether it's teaching, whether it's mercy, whether it's exhortation, to serve one another and to serve you. I pray for the one this morning who knows full well you've been pushing them to lead something and they haven't been doing it. I pray that they would respond in obedience today and step up and lead. I pray for the one who knows they've got to step in and serve in the church at this time, perhaps with leadership in their future. I pray again that they would rise up and lead, O oh Lord. Help us, we pray. I thank you for the church. I thank you for James North. And I pray your blessing on everyone here now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.